Hello, and welcome to another Eagle Data File from Where Eagles Dare, a look at past comic series from the new Eagle magazine of the 80s. My name's Peter, and for the next while my co-host David and I will be recapping two stories from the short-lived and much-loved UK horror comic Scream, as collected in our short series Scream and Scream Again. In this episode, The Thirteenth Floor, by John Wagner and Alan Grant, writing under the nom de plume, Ian Holland. The story is set in the ultra-modern council block, Maxwell Towers, run by its omnipresent and omnipotent computer, Max, whose devotion to his residence sometimes meets its pinnacle on the towers of the virtual 13th floor. The strip is illustrated by the legendary Jose Ortiz, an eagle regular and with a horror pedigree well-suited to drawing out Max's macabre morality plays. So enter, if you dare, mind the lift, and stop a while on the 13th floor. You may never want to leave. Episode 1, Issues 1 to 4 And so to the modern world, with our other feature story, The 13th Floor, by Alan Grant and John Wagner, and art by Jose Ortiz. Hey, Letters by Mike Peters. So this is set in modern day, and on the London skyline, a new building has appeared. A council block by the name of Maxwell Towers. No ordinary housing this, for Maxwell Towers has its own high-tech superintendent, a computer called Max. Now Max occupies the penthouse floor and is looked after by his operator, Jerry. But Max has a secret. New residents arrive at the towers, Mrs Henderson and her boy Billy. In the lift, Billy asks Max why he doesn't have a 13th floor. And he looks at the uh, the floor register buttons. Many people believe the number 13 to be unlucky, Billy. I was built without a 13th floor. Max takes to Billy, after all. I love my tenants. Their welfare is my prime concern. But the Hendersons are being pursued by a debt collector, Kemp, who threatens them under Max's watch. In the lift, Max tries to reason with Kemp, but he gets the threat back himself. Oh dear, I was afraid you'd take that attitude. The lift stops, but not at the ground floor where Kemp thinks he's going. But the 13th floor, Max's secret space, and from out of the darkness, the figure of the Grim Reaper emerges. Welcome to your death. Kemp hears Max's voice behind the dead face, and in a cobweb space, Kemp finds a computer game, Debt Collector. In seconds, he's part of the game. Trapped in a maze, murderous bowler-hatted dwarfs closing in on him, and Kemp finds himself on the receiving end of an electrified umbrella spike by the devilish dwarfs. 100 points! Having lost his opening bonus, Kemp races to a 500-point button for his life, and then to 800, but is soon trapped between two debt collectors. Game over. Poor Mr. Kemp. Technician Jerry gets the call from Max, there's a body in the lift. The police arrive and deduce that Kemp was felled by a heart attack. But note the dead man looks almost as though he was frightened to death. That night, things return as normal in Maxwell Tower. But just after midnight, young Len Adams from 3L rushes in, chased by skinhead thug Spider Webber and his mate Bambo. Webber won't be warned by Max and smashes his intercom, demanding entry. Very well and the lift takes the thugs beyond the third floor to floor 13. 
I'm sensing a theme here, Peter. <laughs> the lobby is festooned with grimy cobwebs, and Bambo sees Spider's arachnid tattoo on his forehead come to life and swats it with his bat. Spiders creep from every space. The skinheads clamber about in the dark and cobwebs. Spider gets trapped, and a huge army of hairy brutes descend. We're talking about spiders, not Australians. No, of course, sorry. Spider faints, and Bambo is driven out of his wits. They find themselves fleeing and back in the lift, Max ushering Bambo and his unconscious mate out, out and away. They're picked up by the police later, and Jerry muses over this, reading the morning paper the next day. But then Max reports an issue. All contact with the seventh floor is lost. The Fogarty's from floor five are the culprits, burgling the entire floor. Contacting the Fogarty's through the intercom, Max warns them the police are on their way, but Fogarty and his sons take their loot and some shooters to stash them off-site. But they make a mistake in taking the lift, which seems to have a mind of its own. Next week, a graveyard for villains. <laughs> so there's a theme. <laughs> it probably sounds a lot more uh, cut and paste as we read them out in rapid succession like this. Everyone gets their cooperance in their own due time. And Ortiz relishes in this kind of thing. We have a lovely glazed cutaway of the top floor. We don't see Jerry's bed or amenities though. Mm. But he also does the new tenants, a rather dashing young lady and her son, rather well. Yes, Ortiz. Just, oh, Ortiz. <laughs> I think this might be my favourite Ortiz comic strip. Mm. One thing I do like about the 13th floor, there's no bollocking around with trying to set up international intrigue. There's no faffing about with not naming anyone or having a mystery at the top of the stairs. It's all in the title, it does what it says on the tin, and you know if you're a Maxwell Tower and you're a wrong and you know where you're going to go. Take the stairs. <laughs> Take the stairs, <laughs> it's yes. safer. Although, I mean, Max is an interesting character, isn't he? At, at, at this moment, he's he's bright and he's chirpy with a, a bit of a dark side. But I, I was taken by the first episode when the Hendersons arrive. There's a panel just in the first few pages where it's, it's sort of cut away and it's, and it's framed by Ortiz, almost like it's being shot, if that's the right word for a comic strip, through a peephole. There's mm-hmm. something a little bit off about the way Max views... Things. Everyone. Yeah. Mm. An all-seeing eye with a sense of justice. Yeah, yeah. I've spoken of the 13th floor in Mega City Book Club, so I know what's coming. And mm. I just have to say, it's just going to get better and better and better. As you say, Dave, it looks like it's sort of laying out its tool pretty early on. Bad person arrives, justice is meted out. Bad person arrives, mm. justice is meted out. But there's so much more to come. <laughs> it's mm. it's marvellous. Mm. <laughs> Episode 2. Issues 5 to 8. It's the 13th Floor by Ian Holland, which is John Wagner and Alan Grant. Art, again, by Jose Ortiz, with lettering by Mike Peters. So last week at Maxwell Towers, computer superintendent Max had lured the thieving Fogarty brothers to his spectral floor, and as their lift arrives, the lads find themselves in a grim graveyard. A graveyard? Inside the building? What's happening here, Max? Your deaths, I'm afraid, says a nearby gravestone. The boneyard is known for normal resting place, but a thief's cemetery. And as the Fogarty boys realise their predicament, 
Sinewed hands erupt from the cold soil and grasp at them as corpses rise to surround them. Thieves, you stole from others. Now we will steal from you. The Fogarty's empty their swags, but the dead can't be brought, and, as Rav discovers, they can't be killed either. A stray shot from his pistol hits his brother, who returns fire, and both die. Max dissipates the illusory graveyard, and waiting on the ground floor, the local police are met with a newly landed lift and the dead brothers inside. They must have fallen out with each other over the loot and had a shootout. And that's the end of the Fogarty's Criminal Reign. It was a bit of a drizzle, really, wasn't it? I was sorry I had to use my 13th floor on the Fogarty's. I hadn't made them to die. It was an accident. But that's what happens when humans carry guns. They weren't nice people. Not my kind of tenants at all. Fake news, Max. Fake news. <laughs> but Sergeant Ingram of the CID is interested in the event and asks Max controller Jerry for a copy of the surveillance tape. No problem. If only the sergeant could have known, but I didn't dare tell him about my secret 13th floor. He wouldn't have liked the things I did there. I couldn't let on that I'd been responsible for what happened to the Fogarty's. I hadn't meant to kill them, of course. That was an accident. But it wasn't difficult for a clever computer like me to make up a film. The police had come up with an excellent theory. I created my film accordingly. Sue things seem to blow over, and Max busies himself with Corbett, the bailiff, who pesters other residents, the Bickles and 4F, with a seizure warrant. He and his men empty the old couple's apartment from under them, but as he exits the building, Max whispers to Corba that there may be more useful information available if he'd be happy to return that night. At midnight, Corba comes back, and Max takes him to the 13th floor, a dark space festooned with cobwebs and skeletal nurses waiting on a hooded figure. Greetings, Mr. Corba. I am the bailiff of death. I have a seizure warrant on your life. Hello, nurse! <laughs> Corba's body is searched, but the spectral surgeon can find no heart. A man with no heart does not need any blood. And Corba is strapped down by the skeletal nurses to be exsanguinated. After that, it's time for an organ donation. Surgeons of the hour, Mr. and Mrs. Bickle. Corba screams and almost dies of fright, collapsing in the lift. Max wakes Jerry to attend, but so did the police. What was Corba doing there at midnight? Max tells Sergeant Ingram he returned to loot Bickle's apartment, but the crafty tech isn't taken in. Getting to be a regular occurrence, isn't it, Max? Barely a set of unfortunate coincidences, Sergeant. But back viewing the Fogarty tape, Ingram notices a ring missing from Kim Fogarty's finger. Could Max have doctored the evidence? But, playing the video back to Jerry, Ingram sees the reclusive ring has been replaced, and he leaves, and Max makes another conclusion. I think I handled that rather nicely, still. It was a close shave. I was going to have to be more careful in the future. Any other bodies would have to be found off the premises. And as fate has it, he has a chance to try this out the next day when an unrepentant man, Nelson, who runs over little Karen Kelly's puppy, is summoned to the tower by Max over the phone. Nelson, expecting a blackmailer, 
brings a gun to the lift, but Max has a nastier surprise for him. I don't want your money. It's payment of a different kind I'm after. You spoiled a little girl's life today. Injured a puppy when you could have easily have stopped. You're hurt my tenant, Mr. Nelson, and now I'm going to hurt you. And Nelson is ejected from the lift into the middle of a busy motorway, cars oncoming, each of them driven by a skeleton. <laughs> Thematically sound, yes. <laughs> Next installment, Motorway Madness. With all the skeletal hands and things popping out of the ground and Graveyards. everything. Yep. It's just it just reminds me so much of the House of the Damon from Eagle. It, Ortiz is knocking it all out of the park as he always does. Yep. But I am really noticing the loss of the midtones from Ortiz's art. From the, both that and the Tower King, it's very noticeable. But it gives it a grainier feel that sort of works better. It feels like a you're buying something a bit cheap and nasty now. Mm. You just have to sort of buy into it. Mm. I got to know the scratchier side of Ortiz's artwork through his turn on Rogue Trooper, which mm -hmm. is actually sort of chronologically, it's after this run. So I was more ready for it. I'd, I'd forgotten the, the really painterly stuff of Tower King and Damon. Mm. No, look, I think it finds its way. I think as, as we'll go in 13th floor, we'll, we'll see a chance for it to really, really shine. I'm good with it. I think he's flexible enough for the format. And I'm really liking Sergeant Ingram. He seems like a lovely foil to Max, this very yeah. quiet and reserved. You know, Max likes quiet and reserved. Max likes polite. So you have this polite but sharp person just trying to keep an eye on Max, the wayward Max. Mm, yeah, if there's one thing Max can't stand. It's, it's a bully. And mm. Ingram isn't a bully. He's too clever <laughs> for that. Episode 3, issues 9 to 12. Speaking of unpleasant ends for unpleasant people, it's the 13th floor by Ian Holland, that's Wagner and Grant, art by Jose Ortiz, letters by Peters. On a busy urban motorway, a man, a callous dog bowler called Nelson, is trapped by oncoming vehicles driven by grinning skeletons. Skeletal mania, Dave! <laughs> Above, in the night sky, crackles his tormentor, Max the computer warden, and Nelson is trapped on Max's domain, the 13th floor of Maxwell Towers. Nelson is meeting his Waterloo. Oh yes, dodging the traffic in terror, Nelson makes it to a traffic island, but is mown down by an illusory lorry and slumps lifeless to the floor of Max's lift. Crawl, crawl order. <laughs> <laughs> Max now has a dilemma. What to do with an unconscious man? He finds another. Unconscious man, I mean. Bert Runch, bricklayer, asleep in his bed in Maxwell Towers and open to hypnotic suggestion. Max possesses him and has Bert drop Nelson off to a lonely stretch of nearby motorway. Job done, Max wipes Bert's memory. That perfect crime. The next day, dodgy plumbing causes the ceiling to collapse on poor Mr. Crusoe in 17D. Max calls for the plumber, Campbell, to do the repairs, but Campbell denies responsibility and behaves appallingly, dismissing Mr. Crusoe's possible imminent demise. Max calls them down to another job. On the 13th floor, there the taps are terribly leaky, flooding the floor around Campbell and his lackey, Trevor. The lights go out, and when Campbell strikes a match, he sets fire to some inopportune curtains, and the waters are replaced by flames. Strike a light! <laughs> it's curtains for him. Though the door's locked, Campbell smashes his way through, but there's no lift beyond, just crumbling stairs which flatten out, setting Campbell and Trev 
onto a spontaneously combusting landing. Campbell grabs a nearby fire hose, but of course, no water comes. And as the flames close in, he drops to his knees and begs Max mercy. Just then, there's a phone call, and Max hears Mr. Crusoe's daughter report that her father is very much on the mend. As easily as it's created, the flaming floor disappears. Mercy it is, Mr. Campbell. The bewildered plumber and his mate are left dazed and confused, remembering an awful experience on a floor that Max says the building simply does not have. They wander off. Outside, Max looks on, satisfied. After all, who'd believe them? <laughs> with, with all these leaks and fires and bloody contractors, I'm getting real House of the Demon vibes. <laughs> yes, it's quite reminiscent of it with the, you know, the stairs suddenly turning treacherous yes. and, and everything. Yes. Yeah. The, and the building course, itself, yes. Yeah. Or he's knocking it out of the park as usual. As always. Not long after, a new family, the Sopers, no, <laughs> no relation, arrive at Maxwell Towers unannounced, bound for a flat that is still occupied, but at the behest of a Mr. Bullock, a mustachioed man of the housing office. I, I, I remember four candles. Oh, four candles. Mr. Bullock's. <laughs> Max contacts Bullock, but when he does, he finds the man not my kind of person at all. The incoming family, the Sobers, have nowhere to go, so it must be split up until they can find alternative accommodation themselves. Max intervenes, but Bullock is unmoved, and storms are over later when Max calls him to report the Sobers have returned. He takes the lift to where Max says the Sobers are. The 13th floor. <laughs> but the lift opens to a clifftop over a raging sea. Bullock in his surprise trips and falls out and onto a raft on the turbulent waves. He bobbles about, but then the raft breaks apart. Just like the Sober family. Towards Max. The timbers of the raft finally slip free and Bullock clings to the last log, nearly drowning but for Max's mercy. As he splutters for air, the seas calm and a small island begins to appear and grows closer as Bullock drifts towards it and safety as four dorsal fins break the surface behind him. <laughs> Next week, Desert Island Max. Peter, got a question for you. Is Mr. Bullock a cameo by Christopher Benjamin or CJ? I can't tell which one couldn't get where they are today. <laughs> it is an impressive moustache that he has. It's not the first impre impressive moustache we're going to see. Ingram's, the police inspector, has a rather marvellous one as well. But yeah, I, I took a sort of a got a sort of a Captain Peacock vibe off ah, as well. Yes, I could just hear all his lines in the Henry Warden Jago voice. <laughs> <laughs> Suffice it to say, Mr. Bullock's troubles are only just beginning. Yes, as always, I like the poeticness of some of Max's justice. Yep. That's what you're going to get, um, you know, delicious justice, courtesy of Max. For a kid's comic, he does a nice line in irony. Mm-hmm. It's hard not to like Max. I mean, I defy anybody not to like Max. Frankly, he wears the slightly off-white hat. <laughs> if you don't like Max, we have some stairs you might like to try. <laughs> Going up. <laughs> Episode 4, Issues 13 to 15. Now we return to the phantasmagoric plight of nasty Mr. Bullock from the Department of Housing, cast adrift in open waters on a collapsing raft, with fins above 
and fangs below homing in on him. He is, of course, a captive of Computer Max in the 13th floor. Bullock is snatched by a great white and seemingly made a meal of, but Max only lets him think that. It was some time later I let him be washed up on an island. And in time, any sandy island indeed, quite alive and safe. And in one piece. <laughs> well, well, well yeah. yeah, maybe not safe. <laughs> but for the moment, it won't be. He rests under a tree and is struck on the nut by a coconut with a familiar crackling face. <laughs> oh dear, yes. You're here all right, Mr. Bullock, but you're far from safe. The island sand erupts with giant crab claws and Bullock is in for another assault, clasped and pulled and tweaked and crushed until he begs Max for mercy and is only freed when he promises his victim family a five-star hotel room and to treat all of his customers with dignity and respect. The island reverts to the lift interior and Max frees Bullock, who's really been through the ringer in the last few episodes, chastened and sworn to secrecy. After all, who would believe him? <laughs> now I should pause to say that uh, this is another cover star. Bullock's um, crab, mm-hmm. crab-clawed fate is the uh, cover for issue 13, and it's lovely. It's a lovely cover. Yes, yeah. Max gave that poor man crabs after bagging nuts. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> On to Max's next objective attention. It's Cheesy the Wall Scroller. Max enlists the help of his hypnotized stooge, Bert Rudge, to seize young Cheesy, a wastrel with a spray can, nabbed defacing Matt Tower's west wall. Bert brings him to Max's lift, but the defender of the tower gets nowhere with this truculent youth. And so, the lift doors reopen, and Cheeky finds himself on the top of a skyscraper but no ordinary skyscraper he's in new york and he's on the empire state building terrified beyond his wits cheeky is promised his safety and release by max provided he scrawls his name on the building's side cheesy gives it a good go but hanging as he is by one hand it's a challenge and he slips and falls straight onto a handy flagpole (laughs) insert nutcracker sound Insert Harold Lloyd theme here. (laughs) Again, Max eggs Cheesy on to complete his work. And he almost does. But the pole snaps and Cheesy falls again. From below, a crowd gathers. Look, up there. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? Nah, it's just some gooky kid with a spray can. (laughs) Cheesy plummets all the way down to to the pavement. Hits the ground, tripping a fire hydrant, which washes him bedraggled but obviously unharmed, apart from his pride, into a paint shop. Defeated, Cheesy promises to clean up his act good and proper, and the wall outside. Max is so impressed, he considers having a word with the council computer about a cleaning job for young Cheesy. I really like the Cheesy story, actually. <laughs> it's one of my favourite My, my favourite part of the Cheesy story, and it's, it's, it's because it spans weeks, is the tagline, In seven days... Splat. That's a long <laughs> drop. That's a... <laughs> we playing cards at the bottom. I have a thought on Max's adventures, but we'll save it till the end. Yes, because we've got one last little tidbit uh, to leave us hanging. So the next week is quiet. Max looks after his residence until a visitor arrives, Wally Skegg, an insurance agent, who corners Max's operator, Jerry, and threatens with his own protection racket on him. Max has it all on tape, but Skeggs isn't threatened. So Max decides it's time for Wally to visit his 13th floor. Next week, a rat meets the rats.
If only it was a loan shack, then it could be Shark Week again. Oh, no. <laughs> it's interesting. While you have the theme of horror and Scream, mm. Max is sort of venturing into the realms of farce and, and humour. Very dark humour. Mm. But he's letting a few people go with their memories intact. Yeah, no, no good deed will, will go unpunished here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do like that this last month is actually a bit about redemption, although Bullock just basically gets frightened into he, he gets cowed into submission whereas cheesy yeah. makes makes a better decision i think and, yes. and 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 max sees that that's why i like the cheesy story is it's not actually about someone being punished it's about someone given the opportunity to improve themselves <laughs> yes or else they're in for a long drop off with a short rope yeah I, well i think it's part of max's personality that he he sees himself as a good computer yes and, and likes to think he you know he's he knows what's best for for his tenants and he ex- obviously extends that to the people he meets somehow he's, he's good and cheesy that gives de- max a bit of depth which you know when the time comes dear listener we're not making a secret of it max is one of the characters who will survive into eagle yeah he'll go into publishing <laughs> well yes but that's the thing Mac- but max is one of the few characters that's a character mm. and and can carry on and will do so quite spectacularly in some ways yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. This concludes the episodes for Scream, but do check out our episodes of Scream and Scream Again for more discussion with our special guests. And if you want to follow the story further, be sure to listen to Where Eagles Dare, episodes 40 onwards, where the 13th floor and Monster have their new home. In the meantime, you've been listening to the Eagle Data File from Where Eagles Dare. If you'd like to follow us or get in touch, you can find Where Eagles Dare on Facebook and at sofageddon.wordpress.com. We're on Twitter at sofageddon, and you can email us at sofageddon at gmail.com. This has been a Sofageddon production. Thank you for listening. Sweet dreams. <laughs>